Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We are coming today to the last of the four elements that are given to us in First Corinthians, or rather, Second Corinthians, chapter five, that show us how to be prepared to live a worthwhile life during time on the earth, with our eye toward eternity after death, and that's really the only way. To be able to live a worthwhile life upon the earth is to be living in the light of eternity, with eternity's values in view. And so we have found in verse 1 something to know, namely something about our resurrection bodies. When this body of mortality shall fail and die, as it inevitably will, there's the promise of a, an immortal body that will house our spirit for all eternity. That's something we should know. But there's some, secondly, something to feel, or something that we do feel, and that is the weight of this earthly mortality, the weight of this earthly corruption, the weight of this earthly depravity, which we still are dragging around with us, even after we have been redeemed, as, along with the uneasiness about death, about going through the valley of the shadow of death, the, the things that relate to that. Now, this is something that we feel feel in our souls as Christians upon the earth, sometimes feel it very strongly, and other times not quite so much, but nevertheless it's there. As Paul tells us in verse 2, For in this we groan, yes, we do. But thirdly, and we left the broadcast talking about this one yesterday, there is something to assure to assure us about the promises of God, about our glorious future, and not only the promises that God has given, but the Holy Spirit, which he has given as the guarantee of the promises. We've got a deposit. We've got something that tells us for certain that we are going to inherit these wonderful promises of God, the guarantee of the Spirit. But, of course, as we explored on the broadcast yesterday, the question is exactly what is that? How can we know that we have it? And I hope I answered that on the broadcast yesterday, but I'll review it very quickly today in a moment, and then we'll move on from there. But let me pause and welcome you to this Thursday, December 1 edition of the Beacon Broadcast. And secondly, may I thank you for your financial gifts, which are essential if this broadcast is going to continue on the station. One of these days, on some of these stations, you may tune it in and we'll be gone. That happened to a station in eastern North Carolina some time ago. We had to had to cut back, and so we picked one that we hadn't hadn't heard much response from, and we 
had to let it go. Didn't want to, but had to. We just didn't have the finances to continue it. I hope that doesn't happen to this station that you're listening to, but that will depend upon the promptings of God's Spirit in the hearts of God's people to want to support this radio broadcast. But now back to the question of the seal of God's Spirit. Verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing, this glorious future, is God, that's his promise, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And I suggested to you yesterday that the evidence of the Holy Spirit, in other words, the seal of the Spirit, the guarantee of the Spirit, is not something phenomenal, as, as we normally think of phenomenal, and it really is phenomenal, but not phenomenal as we normally think of it, such as speaking in tongues or other miraculous sign gifts, but is instead as simple and yet as supernatural as the possession of saving faith. That's not natural. That comes by the work of God's Spirit, and only by the work of God's Spirit. An interest in the Word of God, that is, an interest in things spiritual, that's not natural. That doesn't come to the unconverted person, but that's an evidence of the work of God's Spirit in your heart, and the developing fruit of the Spirit in your life. You are longing to see and loving to see and wanting to see the development of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5, even as you are putting off the works of the flesh. Now, that's not natural. That's spiritual. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit. Those who have these evidences of genuine conversion have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit of God that you are going to experience the promises which God has made to his children. Now something to guide. Verse 6. So we are always confident, says the Apostle Paul, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. (laughs) Well, in one sense, that's so obvious that you would almost find it unnecessary to state it, but evidently Paul thought it was necessary to state. Evidently the Holy Spirit thought it was necessary to state. He prompted Paul to do so. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord which requires for us a determined effort to stay focused. Isn't that true? While in this body, we are absent from the Lord. When we are with the Lord, we'll have no trouble focusing on Him. We'll have no trouble focusing upon spiritual realities. We'll have no trouble banishing from our mind all of the sins and carnal thoughts and distractions that we wrestle with while we're on the earth, they will all be gone forever. Oh, glorious day. Can't, I, I can't wait for that day to come when there will be no more remaining sin, no more unholy thoughts, no more tugging of the world in the opposite direction, but nothing, nothing but Focus on Christ and enjoyment of Him and reveling in things eternal, things which are spiritual. But as long as we're in the body, we're absent from the Lord, absent from the presence of the Lord, and therefore we have to work hard to stay focused upon those things which are above. Set your affections on things above. 
says Paul to the Colossians, not on things on the earth. Set your affections. You must work at that. You must do that intentionally. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. That requires a determined effort to stay focused, and this is one of the challenges of life. And God has given us many divine aids to help us with this. He's given us the Bible. Thank God. There have been many of God's people down through the years that have not even had a copy of scriptures to help them. They couldn't open the Bible and read it and draw the sustaining power from it that you and I can. So we have it, if we'll use it. But we need to use it while we are not with the Lord, while we are at home in the body and are absent from the Lord. We better use the divine aid of the Bible. We better avail ourselves of the divinely given aid of the Fellowship of believers, the assembly of the saints on a regular basis, the interaction with the people of God. We better avail ourselves of the divinely given tool, if you can call it a tool, the divinely given exercise of prayer, which is so wonderfully used by God to search our hearts and to uh, cause us to, to lay aside our sins and to give us strength and spiritual desires. But All of these things require constant diligence. We can't coast. That's one of the challenges of life, that by the design of God, we are required to wrestle and to fight and to pray and to work hard at staying focused upon those things which are above. So the challenges of life are are before us, and we need to understand that and, and respond appropriately. But secondly, we have the superiority of divine revelation. Verse 7, a short statement, but so very powerful. For the apostle says, we walk by faith, not by sight. The greatest truths are not what we can see. That has misled so many people, particularly unconverted people, who are earthbound because they refuse to believe anything is real, or at least can be known for certain, if they can't examine it with their five senses. If they can't apply the scientific method to it, then it's not real or it's not reliable. But no, actually, the things which are spiritual and eternal, unseen to us, are, in in one way of putting it, more real than the things of this earth, at least in this sense. The things of this earth, which are real enough for the moment, are temporary, and they're going to totally pass away. Someday, they will totally be gone. But the things which are spiritual remain forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And so, this statement exhorts us to live for eternity, not time. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk in the light of unseen realities, not in the light of immediate realities, earthly realities. And we must, in order to do that, give God's Word supreme place in our life. That must have priority in the life of every Christian who is going to live a worthwhile life in this world. 
He lives that life by faith. That is, he lives that life by focusing upon unseen realities that are given to us by God's revelation. We believe them by the faith which God has given us to believe that they are so and to know that they are so. And every born-again child of God lives in that framework. And every church that claims to be a true church, a Bible-believing church, needs to focus upon the Bible. It is baffling and sometimes is disappointing how often churches that claim to be Bible-believing churches let their focus wander to something else besides the Bible. But you see, that's true in the lives of individual believers. Our focus tends to wander to other things, and we have to keep pulling it back, intentionally pulling it back, pulling it back, pulling it back, walking by faith, not by sight, walking in the light of God's Word, keeping God's Word central in our lives. And if that's true of individuals, of course it will be true of churches. We shouldn't be surprised because what are churches but individual believers, just collections of them. So we can't expect churches to be demonstrably different from individuals. That's a baffling thing to me. And I think that's the second thing I've called baffling today. But how many times Christians will fault churches for being human? <laughs> just like themselves, but somehow act as if the church should already be in heaven, sinless, perfect, and if it's not, then that's reason for us to criticize it and maybe to abandon it. No, 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 no. Churches are made up of people, sinners saved by grace, just like yourself, and therefore, let's submit ourselves to what God has designed for our good. Until tomorrow, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.